Amen. The cross was enough. Uh, while I was uh, singing the last song, I thought about the Exodus, and I just thought, what did uh, Israelites did do to come out of Egypt? Uh, nothing. They didn't do anything, but it's all God. God made a plan. God called Moses as a leader, and God made them come out of Egypt. It was all God. He did everything. And I think for us the same, our sin, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sin. But God did everything. He sent Jesus. He let him die on the cross. And the cross was enough to save us. So today is a communion Sunday. And Jesus gave his body for us and his blood was shed to assure salvation for believers and establish the new covenant. We take the Lord's Supper together as believers to identify with the life of Christ and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In preparation for the fellowship of the Lord's Supper, we are asked to examine ourselves. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus and are living in the right relationship with God and others, you are invited to participate with us in the sharing of communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Let's pray. So God, uh, thank you for what you have done. The cross was enough to save us. And it's all by you and from you. And also it's all for you. For your glory, for your kingdom, for your plan, for your will. So Father, today I pray that as we drink and eat your body and your blood, Father, let us also become like you, live like you, live like what Jesus did on the cross, fully uh, submissive to the Father and let work for Father's will to be done and Father's kingdom to come. Help us to live as Jesus lived here. Love you and love others, Lord. Uh, as we take this bread and this cup, would you please 
encourage us to love you more and love our neighbors more. And let this be a reminder for us that why we are here on earth, what we are living for, and what, where we are heading to, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the body of Christ given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Oops, I'm sorry. I had another job. <laughs> so I would like to welcome Travis. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I know Travis uh, preached before, but that's before I came. So I'm so excited today to hear him talking about the role of Scripture in uh, spiritual formation, right? Yes. Thank, thank you, Travis. Yes, thank you, David, and thank you for all of you that are here this morning on our long weekend. Um, I hope you were able to get outside and enjoy the sun before, obviously, it has disappeared today. <laughs> um, yeah, and for those of you who don't know me, my name is obviously Travis, as David has said, and I've been here at the church my whole life. I've been serving on the elder board recently for the past number of years, and I've been helping out with youth ministry for a number of years. And Honestly, I enjoy youth ministry a little bit more than being on the elder board. It's, it's a lot more engaging and quite more fun, but they're both very good. Um, and along with that, I'm also a student at Columbia Bible College um, in their biblical studies program. Uh, I'm entering my fourth year in September. So while I have studied the Bible a lot, some might think I'm really smart. I, there's still so much more that I long to wish to discover and learn about, and it grows me every year. But if I'm honest, being a student at Columbia and studying the Bible for strictly academic purposes has made the Bible rather challenging, and honestly, it becomes hard to read it in a way that is spiritually formi formative. I read it to get good grades, to study, to basically just write papers on, and then I move on to the next, and I don't ever sit with passages very long. But this last year, I got the opportunity to TA a class for spiritual formation, which is a first-year class that basically everybody at Columbia has to take. Um, the students come, they practice a spiritual discipline, they read a chapter of Ken Shigematsu's God in My Everything, which if you're wanting to learn more about spiritual disciplines, I highly recommend. Um, they read a bit of scripture, they write a, pat they write a little reflection, and then on Monday, we get together 
and we talk about it. We talk about their scripture that they read, we talk about their practice, and we see how God is growing. Um, and being a TA, I also have the opportunity to mark all these papers, which isn't the funnest, but it is wonderful to see how the students who are first entering Columbia are growing in their relationship with God, to see how from the start of the year their relationship is to comparing it to the end of the year. We see how scripture changes. And this was no more relevant than the week that we actually looked at scripture and scripture's use in spiritual formation. Um, this was probably the most impactful, I think, in my own reading of their papers. I saw how many of them, regardless of where they were approaching scripture from, whether that be knowing a lot about scripture or knowing very little, they were impacted by it. They were impacted by their reading. They were impacted by their meditation on scripture. And they all had wonderful things to say about their experience. Um, this is very different from a couple of their other experiences, like fasting. I think maybe two people in my group actually fasted. So it was very encouraging to see that they all took the Bible seriously. Um, and in many ways, this awoke me to the realization of my, how narrow my own experience of scripture had become the last number of years, um, and that I needed to change my mindset when it came to the Bible. Um, that the Bible was beneficial for spiritual formation and not just getting a good grade. I needed to spend less time reading the Bible just simply at school and more time in personal devotion to it. And when I started doing that, I realized how beneficial it was for my own soul and spiritual formation and that I needed to spend time in the morning reading the Bible. If I hadn't, it just, I felt like I was missing out. Uh, but sadly, this is not the case for many people when it comes to their personal experience of scripture. Uh, N.T. Wright writes um, in his book, Scripture and the Authority of God, we have seen the Bible used and abused, debated, dumped on, vilified, vindicated, torn up by scholars, stuck back together by other scholars, preached from, preached against, placed on a pedestal, trampled underfoot, and generally treated the way professional tennis players treat the, the tennis ball. The more you want to win a point, the harder you hit it. The Bible throughout history has been turned into a book that, when in reality should leave to life found in Jesus, has become, has become a way to put others down, to hurt others, to win arguments, and to be scrutinized. We have misused the word of God to attack others and shame others, to back up our own behaviors um, or manipulate situations to fit how we act. Um, and some of you might be on the receiving end, some of you might be on the attacking end, some of you might end up on both. But Regardless, I think there is benefits in scripture and we need to reorientate our lives around how scripture can be spiritually formation. So the question comes to us today, with all the controversy surrounding scripture, not only between the world and the church, but between Christians and other Christians, how are we to hold the view of scripture that is not only authoritative, but also extremely beneficial for our spiritual formation and discipleship to Jesus? Now, this is not an easy question to answer, but I think it must be talked about within, talked about and for Christians to wrestle with. If we as Bible-believing people acknowledge the hard passages of scripture or the church's past misuse of scripture, um, I think there is much to gain. It's no wonder 
But when we don't do this, I, it's no wonder we see a decline in people's faith in Scripture. Uh, recently, I was attending a biblical studies panel where the question was asked at the end, what is your advice for young people who are wanting to follow Jesus? And the answer shocked me. Well, I would have thought the answer would have been dive into disciplines or get involved in churches and actually be involved in community. The answer was read your Bible and go to the Bible for truth, stating that the biggest issue he saw in the next generation of Christians was their skepticism and distrust um, in the biblical text as a standalone book for truth and wisdom. As our culture moves further away from Christianity, and as we in Canada here become further removed in space and time from the original authors and audience of the biblical text, it becomes increasingly, it becomes increasingly harder for us to see how it applies to us today. Um, it takes a lot more work in our study of the Bible to see how the text applies. And this has become even more relevant in my time at CBC. Um, challenging to understand the interpretive text and historical aspects of scripture, stories that seem irrelevant to us today living here in 2020, uh, the challenges of competing voices, that the seemingly vast theological differences between Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, or challenging texts such as Psalm 137. Um, yet even with these complexities, the reality of scripture in our church and culture, I think it would be safe to say that every Christian would agree that the biblical text is important, that we need the Bible with our walk with God, and that scripture has a very special place in the life of the church and of the believer. After all, we believe scripture is the divine revelation, the word of God, given to the church to reveal the person and character of God. It changes the way we see life and interact with others. It invites us into the mission that God started in Genesis and finishes in Revelation and is continuing to do today. It is a message of restoration that is experienced through the person and life of Jesus when we align ourselves with him. So while I wish I could cover and explain away all the challenges of scripture today, I haven't, thought, I haven't gotten that far in my degree yet. And even if I had, I don't think I would ever be able to. The challenges of scripture invite us for daily, to daily come to it and to daily study it. And I don't think it will be a challenge that any of us will ever fully be able to come to a conclusion on. So with that, I wanna wrap up our series on spiritual formation. Uh, looking at scripture's use in spiritual formation. Uh, now, if you haven't caught on yet, none of these areas of spiritual formation that we have been looking at live in a vacuum. They all play off of each other. Prayer um, is intertwined with our church life, which is intertwined with the Holy Spirit and the mission of God, um, which are all intertwined with scripture. By focusing on one topic each week, it helps us gain a rather in-depth look, look at each one but it's the combination of all of them that leads to true spiritual formation. Now, I might be a bit biased thinking that scripture is the most powerful way we are formed into God's people, you know, in the fact that I study the Bible all the time and I quite enjoy reading it. Uh, but through the Bible, we gain insight into God, human nature, and creation. Scripture can equip us, guide us, and reveal how to live life in a giving way that deepens our relationship with God and others. Both the Old Testament and New Testament encourage Bible study, um, meditation, contemplation, and memorization. In Deuteronomy 30, 14, but the word, of, the word is near to you. It is on your mouth, it is in your heart, so that you can do it. 
the point of scripture is that when we engage with it, it compels us to act. My hope for us here today as followers of Jesus is to exemplify God's love through his word in every area of our life. Um, I want us to come away understanding that scripture compels us to act out of love and not to read the Bible for grades or to win a moral argument, um, but to see that it is, it is authoritative and that it points to Jesus. It is, the, it is designed with a purpose to shape the reader's life um, and that it points us and forms us in our spiritual disciplines. In the passages of scripture, we find a new way to be human, um, experiencing fellowship with God as his spirit transforms us from within as we spend time in the world and in his word. Uh, benefits, uh, the, benefits, the benefits of the Bible are directly related to how open and attentive and obedient we are when we read it. I want us to keep this in mind today as we study how scripture is spiritually formative and how and when you go out from here, that as much as you read the Bible, if you just simply read it as a book, you're not going to get out much out of it. You need to actually be open and attentive to listening to God's word. Take time to pray beforehand. Um, so with that, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. Um, beginning, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Um, and while you're doing that, if you don't have a physical Bible, um, I would highly recommend you get one. There's been science that proves that when reading out of a physical Bible, we are much more able to retain memory and comprehension of the words we are reading. Not only that, but you'll become much more familiar with the biblical text in how you read it. So uh, with that, let's begin reading. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know that from who, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the long weekend. Thank you that we can come here and read your scriptures, God. Um, I know that the church has misused scriptures in the past, um, but it has also done wonders with scriptures in the past, God. I pray that as, you as we come here today that you would open our hearts to the words that you want to speak to us and that, we'd be, that we would be transformed by the power and work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. So for a bit of context here, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor who is currently living and serving in the city of Ephesus. Um, and one of his goals in writing to Timothy is for Timothy to continue to return back to scripture, to not loosen, but to, con but to continue to let scripture be a formative work of God in his life. For within the city of Ephesus, there was a number of corrupt teachers with bad theology. And while Paul does not necessarily go into direct detail about set bad theology, he does give us a couple of hints in chapters um, 2.18, that people were teaching the, that the resurrection had already happened. 
Now, to clarify, they weren't meaning the resurrection that Jesus had raised from the grave. Rather, they were talking about our own physical body resurrection that obviously won't happen until new creation. Now, this could have been teaching from a common Greek philosophical idea that rejected a bodily resurrection, or they could have been distorting Paul's own words and teaching about how the resurrection begins now. Either way, they were both emphasizing a private, hyper-spiritualized Christianity that was disconnected from day-to-day life and had abandoned hope in the future resurrection and new creation. Um, And now not only were they teaching false gospel of hope, um, as we read in Paul's first letter to Timothy, these false teachers were leading people away from focusing on Jesus. They were getting caught up in meaningless arguments in order to satisfy their own egos and desires. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy, as I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies, such as things, such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. From have departed, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. For Paul, the Ephesus church leaders missed the mark when it came to the purpose of scripture. They had made it about themselves and their own ideas. They had lost hope in the truth that came through Jesus and the resurrection that he brought. Um, So with this in mind, It's no wonder why Paul is so desperate to encourage Timothy to remain steadfast in what he was taught. So as we read, starting again in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus. First, Paul is encouraging Timothy to remain steadfast in what Timothy has been taught, not only by Paul, but as we see in Second Timothy chapter one, Timothy is to remain steadfast in what his grandmother and mother taught um, and what they passed down to young Timothy. They passed down their firm faith and who immersed him in the story of scripture, which for Timothy, this would have been the Old Testament. For it was the Old Testament that scriptures that led to the wisdom of the Messiah Jesus, which Paul is talking about here. Uh, Now this in and of itself should be a sign that we today should also be studying the Old Testament for it is scripture that Jesus used and it is scripture that the New Testament church used. So for us to not study the Old Testament, I believe we miss out on so much of what scripture has to offer. Um, As Paul clearly writes here, we just saw that the Old Testament makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So personally, I love the Old Testament. I study most of my classes are Old Testament classes and I would highly recommend studying Old Testament. Um, That is to say, you should also study the New Testament, but I feel like in our today's culture, we tend to focus mainly on the New Testament and we miss out on pretty much three quarters of the Bible when we don't read the Old Testament. Um, Even Jesus does this himself after his resurrection. Um, On the road to Emmaus in Luke 21, Jesus begins with Moses and all the prophets and interprets the scripture, um, the scriptures that of things concerning himself. 
He explains the scriptures to the disciples in a way that point to him. Um, like I said, I love the Old Testament. And for me, one of the most formative classes I've taken while at Columbia is a class on Deuteronomy. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, how can that be a formative class? It's Deuteronomy, it's just a bunch of laws. Um, but I think it was performative, not because it was easy to understand, but it, was, but it required careful and gentle study. Uh, studying the book as a class, each student had to write a paper on a certain section of laws. Then we would come back together, everybody would read everybody's paper, and we would discuss that person's paper. Um, we had to explain the law in its original context, and then apply it to how we would live out set law today. Um, the, the class discussions definitely got heated sometimes, but I think we all went away gaining, feeling rather good about where our class went with it. We all gained insight into the book of Deuteronomy and how Christians should be living today. The, I think the most formative part about this was the fact that there was a communal aspect to studying scripture. Um, and in this community and in-depth study, the laws became transformative. Now, within Deuteronomy, there's a lot of commands for Israel to obey. Um, and in Hebrew, this word shema, or yeah, obey, simply means to hear, and it's an idiom. And genu genuinely, to genuinely hear something is also to respond to what is said, especially when it's God saying it. The, the idea behind it is to not simply obey, but to respond to what is heard and respond to, and the response is often understood as a lifestyle or walking. So what we read in Deuteronomy and what emerges here is a much more dynamic concept than to simply obey the laws that were written. And this is what I discovered in my class. Um, it encompasses an attentiveness to the voice, the leadership, the guidance, direction of God, that comes from a variety of sources within the book. The emphasis is on faithful response to the instructions and leadership. Now, I had read Deuteronomy before the taking the class a number of times, but never closely or never carefully. For when we studied the law, but when we studied the law, it became less about what the law actually was, because in many ways, the laws were very applicable to Israel in their certain day and in their certain context. But through careful study within the community of the class, we were able to see the heart behind the law. To see that the laws were intended so that Israel would remember God's grace in delivering from Egypt and out of their slavery. It reminded Israel of their encounters with God and their lived experience as slaves in, in Egypt. Now Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy, is on the verge of going into the land. Um, they're a nation that has had no home before and are now finally people about to be in power and have their own stuff. So God is writing them the laws, in a sense, to basically be, don't become like Egypt. Know who I am, see how I've showed you. Though all the laws in Deuteronomy point to remembering Israel's own story and to care for the marginalized people. Israel was to embody their faith by God, by their allegiance to God, in a way that, inter in a way that they would interact with God and with others. The, the Torah was supposed to be a life-giving, was supposed to be life-giving to the community. Israel was to show the same grace and care that God showed them in their use of the laws. 
However, as most of the Old Testament shows, Israel did not do this. Uh, the laws became a means to obtain salvation in and through the laws themselves, rather than a way to grow their relationship with God. Um, Isaiah writes concerning the law of fasting in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 6, is this not the fast I chose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is this not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. You see, Israel had taken the law which was supposed to be life-giving in Deuteronomy, and by the time we get to Isaiah, they were using it as a means to salvation themselves, forgetting that the reason behind the laws were to love other people and to be a blessing to the world. They were fasting for selfish reasons, and they, were, they missed the heart of the actual command to fast. And I think this is the wisdom that Paul is talking about here in 2 Timothy when he says, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through, salvation through faith in Jesus. That the wisdom found in scripture is not simply a moral rule book that one follows to secure eternal life. Rather, it, is a, rather it transforms the heart and life of an individual to be more like Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2.5, have this among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we are using scripture in a way that is not forming us into this character of Christ, I think we need to reevaluate how we are interacting with scripture. Now, while we might not be facing the exact same issues the church in Ephesians was, I think there are many similarities today. I think the issue today when it comes to scripture, we tend to find ourselves ending up in one of two camps. We either keep in mind, and now keep in mind that these are extremes on both ends, but we have the conservative side, which makes scripture a means to salvation in itself. We hold scripture on such a pedestal that I think we tend to ignore Jesus's command to love in scripture. And on the other side, we have a very liberal view of scripture, which doesn't hold a very high value of it. Um, and I think both of these sides are wrong, and I think we need to find a middle ground, which involves the wisdom which holds scripture at a high standard and involves wisdom and is able to, where we are able to approach people with love. I think it is wise for us to try and find a lens through which individual experiences of scripture can become dynamic in the lives of everybody. So if scripture is not moving us closer to the person of Jesus and to follow in his actions of humbling himself out of love for others, I think we need to change. We need to approach scripture and our use of scripture with a mindset of love, knowing the truth, yet still showing grace. So with that in mind, I wanna move on to the second half of Paul's command to Timothy, um, where Paul reflects on the divine origins of scripture that make it useful for the ministry, for Timothy's ministry and the ministry of the church. For he writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, as I stated earlier, um, the scriptures that Paul is using here in the Old Testament, here, is referring to here is the Old Testament. 
I don't think Paul was thinking at the time that his personal letter to Timothy would eventually end up as the canon of scripture. However, as we have the Bible today, it is part of the canon. And I would say that the same wisdom that the Old Testament uses to point to Jesus is the same wisdom that the New Testament and Paul's letter here also provides us in pointing to Jesus. Um, Paul first affirms the authority of scripture as divine in his statement that all scripture is God-breathed. Now, what Paul isn't doing here is trying to offer an argument for theories on inspiration, which if you go to Bible school, seems like everything everybody does and I think misses the point of what scripture is for. Um, rather, Paul is emphasizing that scripture is able to make us wise for salvation, that it has authority and by its nature of being a book about God by the, that came to be by the power of the spirit, um, is useful in the lives of individuals and should be an authoritative work in their life. Scripture is God-breathed in that it holds truth about God and who God is. It holds truth about what the world is and how humans live. Um, Paul then, after affirming the truthfulness of Scripture, moves on to the practical uses of Scripture as it pertains to Timothy and his ministry. Firstly, teaching. Timothy is to use scripture to give sound instructions pertaining to the gospel of Jesus. Um, many of the people in Ephesus weren't teaching a gospel of Jesus. They were teaching a gospel counter to that, that did not have hope in a future resurrection. Secondly, rebuking. Um, a proper use of scripture should be used to expose false teachers. Thirdly, Paul commands to correct, referring to a behavioral side of faith that in scriptures is useful to transforming people's lives and behaviors. And lastly, it's training in righteousness that goes along with correcting. If scripture is just simply intellectual and there is no change in actual behavior, that needs to, that needs to change. There needs to be an embodied reality that comes along with study in scripture. And the reason for this and Paul's thing is in order that man and woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Now this is easier said than done and I've witnessed these verses used to oppress people, start arguments about certain theological doctrines, um, or based on our own opinions. And to be honest, I think this is not Paul's intention when he writes this. Um, for if, as we established earlier, Jesus is the central point of scripture in it making us wise for salvation, the practical application here given to Timothy is to teach the true, the true gospel with the, right with the right behavior that must center around people that lead to the person of Christ. It must be done out of love and not out of arrogance or wanting to prove yourself. And while contemporary moral issues are important and need to be talked about in the church, it can only be done when we have Christ at the center of the conversation and we have a deep and rich understanding of scriptures. Um, we can't just pull random verses out to fit our agenda but we need to take into account the entirety of scriptures that is a unified story that leads to Christ. And the only way we can do that is to be engaged with scriptures um, in a way that leads us to be formed into Christ's, life, into Christ's likeness. For when we let scriptures be transformative, be the transformative written resource in our life, 
and not just a normative book. We grow in wisdom found that only Jesus can give. Um, we approach the world with assurance of our salvation and truth found only in relationship with Christ, which scriptures teach us about. So to begin to wrap up, I want to give us some practical um, applications for engaging with scripture uh, that go beyond just reading. For scripture is more than a devotional, it is vital to discipleship. As Richard Rohr puts it, our desire is to know more, read more, study more, uh, study more, our, sorry. Our desire to know more, read more, and study more can be an, another expression of our culture and our accusative nature. Knowing God, not knowing more is the goal. So as followers of Jesus, it is important to study scripture long and in depth with the intention of growing our relationship with Christ. Now, one practice of scripture reading that has been significant impact in my own spiritual life is the ancient practice of Lectio Divina, or divine reading, a spiritual practice that characterized the first 1,500 years of church history. Before many people were literate, the only time they would ever hear scripture was when it was read to them. They would hear the words or phrases that were read, and it became food for their souls. Um, this practice of devotional reading is not an exercise in mentally critiquing or exegeting the text, but rather it is, it is designed to grow our relationship with God so that we may dwell on God in all aspects of life. It invites the readers into God's presence to listen for his particular loving word at that moment. And as we read, pray, and sit with a small section of scripture and listen to what God has to say, I believe amazing things, amazing things can happen. Uh, the first time I did Lectio Divina was on a youth retreat um, when I was in high school, and it, has been come, and it has become a regular practice, which our youth group here does when we go on retreats. We send the kids off with a passage of scripture for 45 minutes. They're to read it, sit with it, pray with it. And while most of them think 45 minutes is a very long time, um, it ends up not being very long at all, I find. And the blessing that comes out of this is when we all return back as a big group. We go off, we do our scriptural reading, we sit, we listen, and then we come back together. Um, and this is where I think the true blessing comes. As we gather as a group and share our experiences, some of us reading scripture for the first time, others for a long time, we get to bounce what God has been teaching each other off of each other. Um, and this, I think, can occur not just in youth group, but across cultural and traditional values. Um, another theologian, Esau Macaulay, writes in his book, Reading While Black, if we read the biblical text assuming that God is able to speak a coherent word to us through it, then we can discuss the meaning of our varied cultures from gleaning from scripture. What I have in mind then is a unified mission in which our varied cultures turn to the text in dialogue with one another to discern the minds of Christ. Um, this leads to my second sort of application that scripture and, scripture, scripture and its use in spiritual formation needs to be accompanied by the community of believers. Um, the reason Paul in this morning's passage is encouraging Timothy to trust scripture is not only for Timothy's own benefit, but to benefit the church. Um, when we read scripture in a community, we gain insight that we might have missed. 
We ask questions that we might not have asked before. So I want to encourage us all right now to either join a weekly small group, which our church has, or even by praying, potentially, you might want to lead a group. I think studying scripture as a group of believers in a small group is vital to our spiritual formation through scripture. If we read scripture in a vacuum, I think we miss out and we can't be doing that. And lastly, I want us to go from here today to approach scripture primarily as disciples of Jesus. Regardless of how familiar you are with scripture, begin to study scripture as a means to discover more about the person and character of Christ, who is able to make us wise and offer us salvation. If you're new to Christianity in the biblical text, I would suggest, well, first off, I want to say I'm glad you're here, and I invite you to either talk to me or many of the other staff here after the service, but I would suggest starting with the Gospels. Read them, pay attention to Jesus in them, his actions, what he does, what he deems important. And for those of us who are more familiar with scripture, maybe try taking a look at the Old Testament passages, maybe the Old Testament passages that Jesus frequently quotes, and begin to study the laws as they compare to the life of Jesus. For this is how we become spiritually formed by scripture. For scripture tells us of the story of Jesus that is John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the message of scripture that Jesus brings. Scripture that God loves his world and will go to the extremes in the relationships for us. It is formative if we let it happen in our lives and when we enter into the ongoing covenant which scripture brings us. And with that, I will pray and wrap up. Yes, Jesus, thank you for this morning again, God. Thank you for the Bible and scripture and its use in spiritual formation, not only in my life, but in the lives of so many. I pray that as we go from here, that your word would continue to impact the hearts of the people in this place, forming, forming us into better disciples of you. God, that we would simply not use scripture as a means to get ahead in this world, but a means to humble ourselves, that point us to Christ, and that we do so out of love. God, I thank you for this book and everything that you've written in it. In your name, amen.